0: We're still in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to stay there for a while, apparently. And we're in chapter 5, and we're looking at uh, the passage that begins there in verse 13. Uh, Jesus uses two metaphors, salt, teaches us something about that. And then he uses the metaphor light, teaches us something about that. And in the metaphor concerning light, he adds an additional sentence, which will be our theme for this morning. But let's read the, the entire paragraph. You are the salt of the earth. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, over 50 years ago at this point, I remember being in a Bible class at Dallas Baptist University. And uh, Dr. Fred White, the Dean of the School of Religion there at Dallas Baptist University back then for many years, was asked by some student in the class in the middle of whatever we were studying, uh, Dr. White, what would you say, uh, or how would you define a Christian? And here we go, you know, one of, those, one of those open-ended questions, kind of. And I remember Dr. White's answer just clearly as it can be. I mainly remember because I didn't like it at all. And uh, Dr. White married us. He's a dear friend and loved him. And I thought, boy, is he off base there. And here was his answer. A Christian is a good person. And immediately I started talking, talking, thinking about our innate goodness, <laughs> no such thing. I started thinking about, you know, the the good works that we do, the self-righteous deeds, which are of no effect. In fact, they're filthy rags in the sight of God. And I was wondering how Dr. White could define a Christian as a good person. Well, then I remembered he's going straight to the bottom line. He's going through a lot of assumptions. And one of the great assumptions he's going for is Dr. White knew good and well of our utter depravity and our sinfulness in every way. He also knew the grace of God. He knew the gospel. He'd been preaching it at that point for years and years. He was teaching it to us every day, all day long in in the college. He knew the gospel. He knew that Christ came. And wherein we have no righteousness, only sin, the righteousness of Christ was imputed to us in a great exchange. Because our sinfulness, our sin and its condemnation, and its penalty, death, had been imputed to Christ. And he had taken it with him and bore it in his own body on the tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there's your gospel. There's the truth. The great objective truth of a great legal transaction made by a Just, righteous, and merciful God, enabling us to be made the righteousness of Christ. And then, through the regenerating work of His Spirit, He works out in us good works. And the the passage I want us to look at is that one little phrase there that says, that people may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, we confess as Presbyterians when we look at the Shorter Catechism that that our whole chief end in our life, chief aim that we have, the end, the goal, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, we glorify the Father by our good works, our good deeds. We are good people now, made that way by the Lord, first in imputation, in justification, And then in sanctification, regeneration, new birth. We've said it every time I've preached. I don't think I've missed it. I read Lloyd-Jones, and he said, don't miss this. So every Sunday now, for weeks I've been telling you, the Sermon on the Mount applies to a regenerated person. If you've not been born of the Spirit of God, if you've not come from death to life, if you've not moved out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, Sermon on the Mount is just not going to be very helpful to you at all. Because what happens is, if you don't have the righteousness of God... You'll go about trying to establish your own righteousness. And you'll go one way or the other. You'll think you did it. And you'll have a self-righteousness, a hypocritical spirit that will absolutely be a stench in the nostrils of God. Or you'll go the other way. You'll try to keep the commandments. You'll try to live up to these high standards. And you realize you can, and you'll become bitter. You'll become hateful. You'll even get to the point where you even want to curse God or deny God. You might even reach the point of sheer agnosticism. Or if you want to maintain the pretense of being a Christian, you'll walk around saying, well, I don't think God expects us to keep the law anyhow. You become some kind of antinomian. There's all kinds of bad directions to go. Unless you come by the straight and narrow way of grace and salvation that is in Christ. And so Paul says this in his ministry. Let me use this kind of as a, as a key sentence, then we'll look at some other scriptures. I'll, I won't tell you any of the context at all. I'm just going to take this verse out of context and go with it. But trust me, it applies. Mainly, I want you to hear it. I want you to emulate Paul. Paul said, imitate me like I imitate Christ. He says that in another place. But listen, he says, for we aim at what is honorable, Not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And that's what we want to do as believers. We want to be not only honorable in the sight of the Lord, but we want to be honorable in the sight of all people. We want the watching world to look at us and see a difference. We want to have some kind of fruitfulness in our life that they're able to say, there's something different There's a hope that's within them. and Then you need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And what I want to do is take a a moment or two and just read the Bible to you. Paul tells Timothy to to just read the Scriptures. And I'm going to read about three uh, passages of several verses each. They're very familiar to you, but we're going to notice one element of each of these passages. The first one is in Ephesians 2. the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Finally, this verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the Christian walk. The Christian walk is a a day-by-day walking in step with the Spirit of God, producing good works. And it's interesting, this is not an afterthought. This is the way the Lord has foreordained things from the very beginning. And this says that we are His workmanship, We are his workmanship, and that word means a masterpiece, something that he has crafted, something he has has produced that is his joy. In fact, what the Lord's doing in each and every one of us is he's restoring his image in us. Christ is being formed in us. Christ is the image, the express image of God, the exact representation of God's person. And that's what Adam was in the beginning. The first Adam had all those attributes of the being created in the likeness and the image of God. And it was marred by sin. And it got so bad it went to, as the scripture says here, that we all walked according to the course of this world. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. That we were all in sin, fulfilling the desires of the lust in the flesh. And what really hurts my conscience is that we were just like the rest of mankind. And that's right. You're no better than anybody else. I'm no better than anyone else. Anywhere else in history? Anyone else on the planet? We look at a lot of pitiful cases around the world, don't we? Oh, those poor pitiful, how ignorant, how blind, how dark, how violent how treacherous, how wretched, how weak, how misguided. On and on we can go. And there's some validity to that, of course, from the natural level, but we're just like them. We're sitting there in the same pot. We're boiling in the same juice, right along with the rest of humanity, headed for the same place. But God, rich in mercy, has regenerated us, given us Faith, given us repentance, brought us from death to life. And God's doing that to recreate His image in a fallen, sinful person. And that's what God's trying to do. Are you working along with God in this enterprise, or are you scarcely aware that's what He's doing? Whenever you have really difficult things in your life, that's the Lord working on your sanctification. When you reach a point where you lose your patience, that was the point where God was working on you to try to create patience in you. You blew it that time. But be aware next time, and there'll be a next time, that God's tribulation worketh patience. And you know that God's at work in you to finish that which He started with your regeneration. The very day the seed of the Word was conceived in you and brought forth eternal life within your soul. God began to shape that life into the image of Christ. And that's what he's trying to do to us. And boy, (laughs) do we not help out. Do we not work? Do we not pay attention? Do we not look at the word to find the prescriptions that we need? Do we not pray, asking the Lord to give us the strength that we need? Do we not depend upon his Holy Spirit in order to enable us to do such a thing? Good works. Good works. That's what the Lord wants to see in us. We're going to read a couple of more real quickly, equally as familiar. Here's a passage out of Titus three. It's Paul speaking to the young pastor Titus. Remind them. Wait just a minute. That's not where I want to be. <laughs> there it is. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. No, I won't comment on that. Hated by others and hating one another. That was our condition. But, there's that contrasting conjunction again. But, when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then he says something he says several times in the pastoral epistles. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Paul tells Timothy in his preaching to insist on these things. And it's my joy to be preaching this morning, and so I'm going to insist on these things. I'm going to say to you what Paul says it ought to be said to all the believers in the church. Those that believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. That's what we're, these things are excellent and profitable. And let's see, I've got another little shorter passage picked out here. That's Paul up to now. Paul and Peter, it's amazing. If you ever study through Peter's two short little epistles, you'll find the doctrines that are there. You can sort of list them out, the various doctrines, New Testament teachings is there. And it's all just like Paul. Paul takes 13 epistles or whatever it is, 12 or 13, and just goes on and on and spells it all out and and multiplies it and stacks it in and and puts doxologies and prayers in the middle of it and all that. and just makes a whole corpus of, of letters to read. And he says the same thing Peter says encompass. Well, here's Peter's uh, fewer words. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Notice how all of these passages talk about the lust of the flesh, the, the, uh, the pride of life, the things in our life that seems to shape us in a different direction. These, these uh, passions which wage war against your soul Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Jesus said, so that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's saying just what Jesus said. Of course, Peter sat there and heard Jesus say it. In reality, he was there when Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. And he hadn't changed the expectation one bit. We are to go with good works. Now, as I sort of wrap it up, you just think, well, what does that apply? Well, let me just suggest a kind of a scope of things. And this is not exhaustive. And you'll add to it the way you want to of areas and ways and circumstances under which... We can begin to produce good works. The first one I'll mention is relationships. Let's start with the really good ones, parent and child. Children, you need to be obedient to your parents. Children, you need to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You need to use the Scriptures to train them the way they go. That's the first priority. The first institution that God ordained was marriage before there was a government, before there was a schoolhouse, before there was a courthouse, before there was a jailhouse, before there was a church house. There was a house. One man, one woman, fearing God, keeping His commandments, raising their children in that same relationship. So there's where a place if you want to see your good works And The world can observe a good Christian godly family. They can tell the difference. They can see the difference between well-behaved, godly, obedient children, children that are well provided for spiritually as well as materially. That's one of the problems we have in our country now, our children for the most part. There's a lot of poverty, I know, but there's middle-class and upper-middle-class kids. They got everything they want and then some more and then some more still. And now I also have a long birthday list and a long Christmas list ready to give to Grandma when the time comes. Got everything materially. They go to camps in the summer. They have all kinds of wonderful activities and amusements and games and parties and bounce houses and just everything you can imagine. But then their souls are impoverished. They have not one scrap of spiritual admonition in, the, in themselves. Well... I don't want to, I don't want to preach there I just want to mention it in your family in your social life in your social life you're going out and enjoying yourself going to ball games going to parties going to events going out to eat with Christian friends as well as with others here's a place to where you can produce your light shining with good works And here's some of the things the Scriptures tell us to be with relationships to other people. Tell us to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, in honor preferring one another, to love one another, to seek the best for others. And it goes on and on, but I'm trying to be suggestive. Here's another area in which you can produce good works that people can see that will glorify God. They'll know you're a child of God. You're born of God. By your fruits you shall be known and your Father will be glorified. In In your benevolence, in the ways in which you express goodwill, that's what the word benevolence means. It means goodwill. And the way you can express goodwill in kindness, mercy, and charity, There are poor, hungry, destitute, confused, lonely people all around us. And that may just be in the church, but they're certainly in the world. You can find ways, creative and wonderful ways, subtle ways even, but real redemptive ways to have good works with respect to them. The way you care for them, meet them their needs, advise them, take them in, render hospitality. I'm just trying to be suggestive. Here's another area, a broad area, in which you can produce good works that glorify God and that people can see. And that ends in your area of stewardship. First of all, stewardship starts with the stewardship of your own time and industry. You need to be hardworking, dependable productive, industrious, prudent, thrifty, honest. If you'll do about half those things, you'll be different from most of the people around us. Most people around us are, are, are scratching and clawing in every way they can to handle their material goods, overextending themselves, trying to beat the system, trying to get rich quick, etc., etc. That works out itself in a few other ways. You can be a good employee. The Scriptures have an interesting little thing. If we were to ever discuss the biblical doctrine, the New Testament teaching about employee and employer, it's spoken of in terms of slave and master. And Boy, does that raise all the red flags. But once you get a little context and learn a little scrap of history, all that slave talk takes care of itself. And you understand that the whole world has been a a matter of the exploit and the exploited. And we don't need Karl Marx to tell us how to fix that. Jesus Christ fixed it. And so we can be in that world of work and economics, but we can bring in Christian principles. We don't have to bring in the, the, the methods that are being brought into the government and into the companies and into the church even that are based in, in ideas that are foreign and alien, ideas that arise out of atheistic, God-hating, commandment-breaking people that were formed and festered in the fever swamps of European intellectualism. Is that over your head? Do you want me to spell it out a little more? Well, I don't think so. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's a pretty pretty sophisticated crowd. I remember years ago, I got in trouble with Skip because when I preached one time, I used a couple of big words. I think I used the word ministrations. Speaking of, of the priesthood and their ministrations in the temple and the tabernacle. And Skip admonished me pretty severely that we don't use big words. And I thought, Skip, the church is full of PhDs, lawyers, doctors, research assistants, school teachers, professors, MBAs. And we're not supposed to use anything more than a three-syllable word. Every once in a while, you need to use a little bit bigger word. And I'll do that from time to time. And just so you know, I've got an old Webster's Dictionary that I've had since my freshman year of college, and that thing is just about worn out. Because every time I think of some word, I think, do I really know what that means? (laughs) And, And I'll go look it up. In fact, I had to look up a word that we all know and should know, but it, it was a few, mo- a few weeks back when we were studying the Beatitudes where it said blessed. Well, the commentaries kept using the word felicity. And I kept thinking, felicity? I don't use that word. What does that mean exactly? I had to go look that word up. And it's a common, it's an everyday word. Y'all knew what it meant. I didn't. I had to look it up. But that's, that's the way it is. There's just some, every once in a while, we have to talk kind of to the level of our audience. And I'm not talking to a bunch of high school dropouts in this room this morning, nor in that room in there or any place else we preach around these quarters. And so we need to upscale, is that a word? I think I made one up. I need to pencil that in the margin of that old dictionary I use. We need to, to, to raise the level of our communication so that it's clearer and, it, and the words bear weight and a big word bears a heavy load. And it has meaning and application and nuance and denotation and connotation and all these things, and this is this is part of our understanding. Where was I? (laughs) A good employee, honest, and a good employer. The servant is worthy of his hire. A lot of the reasons that some people are extremely wealthy is that when you look at the big picture, they have simply paid their workers, who's the people that actually make it happen, they've paid them too low a salary. Well, they may have paid a competitive wage, The market may have been bid down so low that you could get people for these pittance wages, but that doesn't mean in the eyes of God it's a fair wage. If you've got people out there working and barely able to make any kind of a living and you've got a CEO or an owner or stockholder in that corporation making millions and millions and millions of dollars, something is wrong. And it's not complicated math to look at the span of executive control and the levels of management and do some calculation. And when you do that, you will see a gross unfairness in so many businesses. Once men learn that they can exploit the masses and they get the techniques, the government and the instrumental techniques to do that through the through the free enterprise system, which I believe in entirely and wouldn't have it any other way, and I don't want government regulating one ounce of this. But one of the problems we have is that people, employers, owners and stockholders, etc., have exploited the lower echelons of their companies. They've paid a competitive wage. They've managed to keep workers. They've paid them as little as they possibly can to poor desperate people to feed their family, come to work, and are underemployed right and left. Meanwhile, the opulent splendor of this neighborhood, if nothing else, one of the highest rated financial zip codes in North America, right up there with Knob Hill and and Beverly Hills and all the rest. If you're an employer, I don't care if you just got a little two-man shop or whether you own a CEO of a giant corporation, you need to think in biblical terms about how you handle that. You are not bringing glory to God by the way you have your salaries and benefits structured. Just suggestive. I'm I'm not trying to preach too much. A good citizen. Well, we're out of time. I don't have time to go in that. I wish I did. There's a lot of citizenship issues that are before us in these last uh, election years and in these coming years. But um, when you get right down to it, we have to hear the voice of the Lord. What did the Lord say in Revelation to the churches? I know your works. You're not putting anything over on the Lord. He knows your works. And maybe old Dr. White was right. Maybe what a Christian is when the final analysis, after you go through all the saving grace of God, the regenerating works of the Spirit, the sanctifying work of the life, when the whole process comes in, maybe what you've got, if you've got a real Christian, he's just a good person.